Hello there. Tonight, I again proudly accept that nomination for President of the United States. I have a bad feeling about this. But when the President does it, that means that it is not illegal. What? Welcome to the Joy of Star Wars. I'm Simon, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, the Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan of Star Wars Podcasting, Vaughn and Steele. Hi, guys. Hi, Simon. Hello. Uh, today we're taking a break from our academic adventures in Star Wars to do another deep dive episode. You might remember that our very first episode of the show was on the 1977 original film, and today we're looking at its sequel, Empire Strikes Back from 1980, directed by Irvin Kirshner and story by George Lucas and screenplay by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan. So um, yeah, this is a this is going to be a fun episode. Before we get into the categories, and we have quite a few to get through, I just want to start by uh, asking my co-hosts this question: Do you think this is, in a way, the most important Star Wars? Because if Star Wars film, because if this had flopped, do you think we might maybe, and if it had flopped and it didn't have the cultural impact it did, do you think that we might not have had the follow-up film and then film series that that followed? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do think that. <laughs> I think it's it's definitely the most important Star Wars, apart from the best Star Wars episode nine, of course. Obviously. 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 Of course. Which was so good they decided just to stop making Star Wars films after that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they can't top it. They, they were can't like, top it at all. So. <laughs> if if we've learned anything in the last uh in the last five or so years of uh, Star Wars movies, it's that uh the middle one has to please everyone. Mm. Uh, you can't yeah. yeah um the middle one has to uh has to be good or else yeah. you lose everyone halfway through which is That's why what... attack of the clones is the <laughs> second best <laughs> why many consider attack of the clones one of the greatest films ever made mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's definitely one of the top 10 films george lucas has ever directed to be fair mm-hmm. so um we'll give him that um right okay well, I think we're kind of all in agreement then. So shall we move on to the categories or is there anything else you'd like to just get out there? I know you guys are pretty excited for this one. I'm so excited. I, I love this one so much. I, I know it's a very niche opinion, but this is my favorite Star Wars film. <laughs> Jeez, such really? a, you're such a trendsetter. I'm one. such a trendsetter. <laughs> I'm real hipster. I liked Empire before it was cool. <laughs> She's not like other girls, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> just like with her... Just like with her politics, Vaughn is sticking to the center. Right. Um, shall we shall we move on to the first category, which is... <laughs> like a centrist moose. We'll get to, <laughs> yeah, we'll centrist, get to the centrist moose one day. We talked about the centrist moose. Did we we did last Bendu? episode. Bendu. Oh, we talked about Bendu. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Beef. <laughs> Mystical beef. The centrist moose. Okay, already this show is getting out of control and I'm struggling to control these two. Right, show... It's getting <laughs> out of hand. <laughs> now there are two of them. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Uh, okay, first category. Where slash when did you see this film? This is going to be, be a bit of a repeat, certainly for me, from our first deep dive episode, which um, my memory of watching all three of the original films comes from sort of watching them on ITV in, in the UK around Christmas time. And sort of, I, I guess, to begin with, thinking of them as very much a trilogy and watching them, I think they were sort of one day after another, you'd put them on and sort of fallen in love with with these things that I only watch once a year basically so um yeah that, that that's that's how I remember first seeing this film what about you guys 
So, um, yeah, same as last time. There isn't a time in my life that I can remember where I hadn't seen this film. Uh, I'd definitely seen it by the time I went to um, preschool uh, because one of my first memories of preschool was me being on the climbing frame doing the uh, doing the X-Wings from the first movie. And I knew that I'd already seen Empire Strikes Back at that point. Um, I have a very clear memory of binging all three of them on the special edition videos, uh, the one with the farting case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I have a very clear memory of doing that as a kid. Um, and being able to get through all of the movies fine as a kid until the Emperor came along in Return of the Jedi. And uh, then I had to get my mum to watch that with me. Um, yeah, it's it's just one of those things that's so ingrained in my brain from every minute that I can remember that it's just, I have no idea when I first watched it. I think I was two years old because I watched them all for the first time when I was two. Hmm. Um, my parents told me that because I can't remember that. But uh, yeah. Try I try harder. You know what? Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Thanks, Vaughn. <laughs> Thank you for that. Be better. <laughs> be, be better, Steele. Just be better. Um, so this this is also a repeat for me because I think I said on the first one that um, the first time I saw Star Wars, I'm pretty sure it was Empire. And I was just like standing in the hallway outside of the living room, like watching my, like my dad was watching uh, Star Wars. And I was like, what is this shit? And like, I saw C-3PO and I was like, who is that bitch? Why does he- this golden boy? Why does he have such a sexy midriff? <laughs> it's true. It's so good. It's true. Who and I wires think, could look so good? Like they really ramp up the midriff in Empire. So I'm, that's why I think the first one I saw was, was Empire. Um, one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars anything is in the cartoon Clone Wars from 2003 where C-3PO gets his new gold plating and then he reveals it to Anakin in the street like he's mm-hmm. a stripper. It's amazing. Nice. It just shows his midriff in full glory. It's wonderful. Anyway, sorry. Excellent. Um, the, the other kind of like main memory that I have with Empire is that my brother watched the VHS so many times that he broke it. And we couldn't watch Empire anymore. So it, there was a there was a long stretch where I couldn't watch Empire because because my older brother was obsessed with it, and rightfully so because it's a perfect film. I I passed on my niche like for Empire to my older brother actually when we were kids. You're welcome, T. Of course, as we know now, uh, Anakin built C three appeal, so maybe he has a, a particular fetish for for midriffs. Um, oh, no. Yeah, he does. Have you seen Padme and Attack of the Clones, the second best Star Wars film? <laughs> that is quite the midriff. It did mm. do things to me. It's a good midriff. Um, also, fun fact, um, I can't remember when I first saw this film, but I know that my parents went to see this film on a date in the cinema when it came oh. out. Which, yeah. It's adorable. It is adorable. And it, it, it explains so much, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It yeah. really, really does. Also, my dad's birthday is May the 4th. So <gasps> it explains a lot, doesn't it? Oh, well, happy birthday. Yeah, it only just happened, didn't it? Oh, I forgot to tell him. No, I'm joking. <laughs> on wouldn't listen anyway. Right. Um, shall we move on to the next category? So that's reviews, box office, and Oscars. Um, so worldwide gross for this film uh, in 1980 was uh, just over 400 million, 401.5 million. It didn't quite uh, hit the same sort of numbers that uh, the original Star Wars film did. And uh, Lucas blamed that on uh, not getting the repeat viewing because of its inconclusive ending. 
um, which is obviously very much setting up the uh, third film. Um, adjusted for inflation, the North American box office is equivalent of 920 million, uh, making it the 13th highest uh, grossing film ever. And it won Oscars for best sound and a special award for visual effects. Uh, moving on to production and casting notes. Um, yeah, it sounds like this one was a, a bit of a strained production. As, as far as the actual cast was concerned, we, we kind of got everyone back together. And the two main additions were Billy Dee Williams as Lando Calrissian and Yoda being voiced and puppeteered by Frank Oz. Um, Biggie. The uh, main uh, sort of shots of, of outside of Hoth were uh, filmed in a glacier in Norway and uh, L Street Studios in England uh, were used for the majority of the rest of the filming. And uh, yeah, I've got written down here that... Um, it was a difficult shoot, especially for Carrie Fisher, who fell ill during production and uh, really struggled and lost a lot of weight and, and really had to kind of uh, struggle her way through that. And Mark Hamill also had difficulties with uh, basically being isolated for the, the whole of production because for the most part, he's either just in the snow or in a swamp talking to a puppet. Um, you guys got anything more on, on this category? Yeah, we were we were literally just before before we started recording. We were literally just watching the uh, the Empire of Dreams documentary, and we were watching the the Empire segment of that, and um, it showed uh, how uh, Mark Hamill when recording. So Dagobo was a Dagobo was a soundstage, and it was um, it was about five feet um, is built up about five feet above the ground so that Frank Oz could and all the puppeteers could move around underneath, and. So when they were recording uh, Mark Mark scenes, there was no one there for him to bounce off. Like there was just a puppet, and you couldn't hear Frank Oz's voice lines. So he was he was the only human there for a while, apart from the crew, and that that really does take some doing. It's uh, it's amazing. He also got bitten by a snake at one point, which mm-hmm. is which is which is which is great. Yeah, I was also. I was also going to say that uh, they got. To, this was the first of the this Star Wars movie where they where George Lucas wanted to film it independently. Actually, I don't know if it was the first. Don't quote me on that. But um, George Lucas filmed this independently, so without the studio system, um, he had some trouble with the funding, especially when it went over budget by about ten million. And um, the the biggest uh, the biggest loaning company for. Um, for film at the time bank of america bank of america thank you um they were going to uh they were going to pull the loan because they were going so far over budget and uh trying to trying to make them understand that this is the sequel to star wars guys like you should give us whatever you whatever you can because it's going to make a ridiculous amount of money no matter what um wasn't quite wasn't quite understood at that point it's uh yeah so george lucas ended up funding all the extra money himself uh, and he did get it back very quickly, mm-hmm. and enough to to give around five million dollars in bonuses to cast and crew because the film did so well, uh, which is which is a stand up act. Good on you, George Lucas. Yeah, um, I think I was going to say. So the only thing I was going to add is I think when you hear all these stories about George Lucas, and you know, we sometimes poke fun at some of the questionable things he, he's done with maybe some of the property rights of, of certain things you always hear stories about how generous and kind George Lucas is and how for the most part he's trying to sort of do good in the world. And I think that is worth highlighting considering all the, the jokes we can make at his expense at times. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, 
everybody is complex and multifaceted, right? But mm-hmm. he, he has some good ones, some some good acts he's done. Especially uh, especially during the making of the original trilogy, I feel. Mm. Like uh, mm-hmm. I think the yeah. the his his youth and him uh, him just starting out really uh, really does add to that in comparison to I feel I feel later on. But mm. uh, yeah, he's still He's still what what I like about George Lucas is even even in the later films he still has that kind of wide-eyed dreamer quality about him with his with his filmmaking. And he just wants to make everything the best that it could possibly be, which is why, in his eyes, um, meant in, especially with the prequels and especially with the special editions, just adding more CGI. Mm. Sorry, Vaughn, you were saying. Um, the only other thing to add there is you said that that Hoth was shot on a glacier in Norway, but not all of Hoth was. Um, there were a couple scenes that were shot in the, like the backyard of the hotel that they were staying at in Norway because it was snowing so much that they couldn't leave the hotel. So they just kind of like pushed Mark Hamill out the door and just had the camera right in the doorway of the hotel and made him just act on his own while he was fucking freezing in a blizzard in Norway absolutely love that kind of stuff you know like the, the stories from the original original trilogy of i'm just you know the, the sort of i don't want to say amateur production but the, the fact it's not as polished as it is today where everything's just you know green screened and you know you don't get the same for a, a lot of the stories you hear about from films being made today you don't get quite the same struggle as you might have back then when even just the concept of doing a sequel to a highly successful film was maybe not as, as obvious as, as you're saying still. Um, as far as the production is concerned, there's obviously lots of stories we could go into and there's tons of, of stories, um, you know, of, of things like uh, the cast, maybe not uh, enjoying uh, every single word of dialogue and someone like Han Solo um, improvising the I love you, I know reply and all of those. Uh, probably my favourite is... Um, the story that David Prowse, who was sort of the physical formation of, of um, Darth Vader, he was actually given the line, Obi-Wan Kenobi is your father to read because he was known for repeatedly leaking information. And then obviously James Earl Jones dubbed over the voice with, with the correct lines. So I just, um, I, I like the concept that even back then they couldn't find someone, <laughs> they couldn't trust their, one of the their sort of main physical bodies on the set to uh, actually say the correct lines and they had to, to steer him off in the wrong direction in order to keep it a secret. He was the uh, Tom Holland of Star Wars. <laughs> Just thinking that. <laughs> um, shall we move on to the opening crawl? Oh, so, um, oh wait, sorry, wait, only go. There's, there's one other thing that we wanted to mention uh, while watching Empire of Dreams is uh, Stuart Freeborn, who's the makeup and special creature designer. Mm-hmm. He says in empire of dreams that he modeled yoda after himself because he he said in this adorable little old man voice quote well perhaps there's something quite amusing about my face bless him adorable (laughs) bless that so cute and then he added in some like einstein elements and like flattened the face out a bit to be more like almond shaped Mm. as yoda is but he's so cute if you haven't seen Stuart freeborn you should look him up because he's a precious precious man that's it. We can move on. I just wanted to shout shout out some love for him. No, That's no. a lo- lovely addition. Uh, right. 
Next category is opening crawl. So uh, marks out of 10. Before we give it our marks out of 10, um, Steele has kindly agreed to read it for us. So Steele, uh, at, your, at your own free will. Uh, am I doing it as Palpatine? Pick any voice you want. Okay. Uh, Jar Jar, please. Oh, God. No, don't charge. Don't. No, Empire, <laughs> Empire is too good for Jar Jar. That's for the second best Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones. <laughs> it's a bum bad dot time for the return. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Uh, it is the dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker, has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> there are no words to do that, to do that justice, Steel. I'm really, really impressed you didn't break at all there. It was when I said fleet. Yeah, fleet. I was almost gone. The Imperial Star Fleet. <laughs> Excellent. 10 out of 10 crawl also, right? We can mm. just agree. Like, I love my favorite part of it is that Darth Vader was obsessed with finding Luke Skywalker because yes, Queen, you dramatic bitch, of course you are. It's, it's about, sorry, I'll be steal and you go. I was just going to say, yeah, it just gets to the point so, so precisely, um, especially as the sequel, the, the second one, like it kind of suggests that it's been a decent amount of time. Um, mm -hmm. it, it kind of shows like as soon as you see them on Hoth, you're not like, oh, where are they? What's going on? Like the last thing I saw was them on their base. Like mm -hmm. you just know, like it's a dark time. Boom. That's it. Like that's all you need. The, the Empire is hunting them. Yeah. Easy. Darth Vader's looking for young Skywalker. Perfect. Obsessed with. Obsessed with. Yes. As, as is a common theme on this, this show now, um, we have noticed just how dramatic and messy um, old Darth Vader is. Such a messy bitch. He really is. He's just a complete and, mess. And, and young and Anakin. Anakin is also a dramatic, messy bitch, and we love him for it. We love it. I'm pretty sure Anakin killed more children than Darth Vader. <laughs> Even all of on Alderaan. Even <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, I gotta, I guess I beat my record this time. <laughs> I don't know why he sounds like Broden. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I gotta beat my record this time. <laughs> Join the dark side, Luke. It is absolutely imperative. <laughs> We've got to stop doing inside jokes on the podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's wonderful you two have found each other. I really do. Um <laughs> right. Uh, next category is favorite moment or scene. Um, so as a sort of recap of the story, uh, as you guys said, we, we open on Hoth and we are introduced to the good guys on the frozen planet. Um, Luke is captured by a Wampa, uh, but escapes and is found by Han Solo. And then they fight off the Empire with some uh, nice maneuvers there. Uh, then it kind of after they leave the planet, they essentially set up uh, sort of a dual narrative. You've got the the chase through the asteroid belt and the the adventures on the ship with 
Han and Leia and the gang. And um, then you have um, Luke going to Dagobah and being in the, the swamp with Yoda and doing his training there. And then you have my favorite part of the whole film, which is Darth Vader just sitting in his black egg, just <laughs> choking people from afar and shouting at people. And then eventually turning up for Thanksgiving dinner to uh, steal uh, Han Solo. So it's, um, yeah, there's there's a number of sort of different narratives, or sort of two main narratives going on with with Darth Sir uh, getting involved as required. Um, from my own perspective, I think my favorite scenes were actually towards the end where Chewie is trying to save Han. And you, it kind of, watching it again it kind of rung home especially with episode seven where we know what happens and how distraught Chewie gets the the main relationship between those two throughout this film and then especially at the end when Chewie is trying to save Han um that that kind of really hit home for me and I have to say that that that's probably the thing I took most from it was just how much I enjoyed their friendship and how much they enjoyed being together and so sort of seeing Chewie's distress at the end of the film uh, and then obviously knowing what happens in episode seven, I think that, that was the thing I was probably surprised about the most and also enjoyed the most. Um, what about yourself, guys? Um, favorite scenes? I didn't really touch upon the end, which I'm sure you guys will, will touch upon <laughs> now once once they sort of come together on, on Cloud City. Um, it's really hard for me to pick a, a favorite moment or scene um, because I, I really, really love this one. Like a whole lot but my favorite shot is when uh vader is is checking out the carbon freezing chamber for the first time and he's up on the platform and the camera's below him so you get this great undershot of vader and the lighting in that scene it's all blues and oranges and blacks and it's just so fucking beautiful every scene in the carbon freezing chamber is is exceptional um just from like a visual cinematography kind of standpoint i really love those scenes i also really love just the design of cloud city mm -hmm. i think that's really gorgeous um but again there's there's so much in this in this movie that is just great for me i really like a kind of controversial scene well some people have seen it as controversial but i really love um the kiss between han and leia when Han is like, you like me because I'm a scoundrel. You need mm -hmm. more scoundrels in your life. I like, again, a bit controversial. I am aware of that. Um, but that's really one of my favorites because that that just sets up their relationship really well, I think, mm -hmm. uh, and their attraction to each other and that they're both trying to resist it and like restrain against it. Um, or Leia definitely is. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really, I, I think that's really well done really well done that she kind of gives in and embraces it for just a split second and then she's like oh shit what am i doing i love that scene for me um there's there's three main there's three main moments that really like i just get so geared up like in anticipation for them and also um when they're happening i'm just like this is it the um the asteroid field, the the particular part in the asteroid field where the main the pieces of music from the asteroid field comes in and the Tie Fighters are chasing them, 
and the the tie fighters are all getting blown up by the uh by the asteroids it's just it's so good it's just incredible incredible practical effects incredible music and the reactions from the cockpit of all of them are just brilliant um the other one um one of the others is the in the in the the scene where they're all escaping from cloud city uh leia chewy lando 3po mm-hmm. and uh r2 the the moment where r2 opens the door and then han and leia's theme plays as the door opens mm. it's just brilliant and then that moment of comedy that where uh 3po is uh 3po is saying just open the door you stupid lump and then the door <laughs> opens and he's like oh, i never doubted you for a second wonderful wonderful it's, oh, it's so good <laughs> And then the the other one, which is the one of my favorite pieces of music in the in in Star Wars as well, is when Yoda lifts the X-wing mm. out of out of the Dagobah swamp. It's just the most beautiful piece of music, and just seeing this little guy and how much power he has, and uh, it's just it's so beautiful. And the the way they shot the the way they shot the X-wing coming out of the swamp is just brilliant. It just looks so beautiful. It's one of those. It's one of those moments that uh, makes me makes me tear up. It's just so so wonderful. So I think it's probably worth just mentioning some of the other iconic scenes as well. So you've got uh, the spaceship escaping from the. I think it's called an Exogorth. Is that the, the big slug? Big slug, essentially. Big yes. slug. Big slug. Uh, that that became very famous. Um, and I actually watched Dune. Uh, not long ago, the more, most recent one, which I film I really enjoyed, and I was actually messaging uh, Vaughn about this, and I think you should definitely watch Dune because I think you'd find it interesting the sort of some of the similar elements of that story and how that influenced uh, George Lucas in the Star Wars, especially the original trilogy. Um, and then, of course, at the end of the film, um, or near the end of the film, we have the iconic fight between Luke and Darth. Um, is that for, for you guys who've seen the film more than I have? Does that still kind of hold like interest to you, like the actual fight between them and like you know the, sort of the communication between them and the words being said, and then obviously the big reveal. Obviously, it's not a shock to you guys anymore, but I, I was just curious as to how how you still sort of see that interaction and think about it in the sort of larger uh, context of Star Wars, considering everything that's kind of come afterwards. Uh, I don't know, Vaughn. Um, what what did you think when we watched it uh, an hour ago? What a stupid fucking question, Simon. <laughs> Does it still hold our interest? We've rewound it like five times to rewatch it. Like we've seen this collectively probably more times than George Lucas has, <laughs> and, and we were still like, "Oh, let's just look again and like watch the scene again where where Vader says, I am your father.'" and like we were like analyzing the fuck out of the scene because Steele thought that maybe the the like film um kind of read bounds on itself because David Prowse was saying Obi-Wan is your father and there are more syllables than that. So yep. they they had to film a longer like segment of Vader saying the things and the hand moment movements and everything. So <laughs> we we didn't come down to a definitive kind of point on it. We watched it several times. Uh, but yeah, it absolutely still holds interest and is still like, oh, what a good fucking scene. And especially with all of the context of knowing the production around it and everything like that. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah, 
it's another another props to Mark Hamill moment where yes. Mark Mark Hamill had to react to something when the actor reading the lines uh, mm-hmm. was saying something completely different. Yeah, because Luke did know they uh, Urban Kirshner told him like five minutes before they were doing the scene, like you know that it's Vader, that's your dad, right? And Luke was like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But then he had to react to that as David Prowse was saying, "Obi Wan killed your father." It's a whole it's a whole fake line in the script in the original script. It was a whole fake page um, that had other lines as well that were changed because obviously there's the rule of the galaxy is father and son line, which mm. they weren't going to say either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was just reading David Prowse was just reading this whole bit. There's actually a moment where um, there's silence between the two characters. And I think there's a shot where uh, Vader is still gesturing like he's talking. Uh, I saw that today and I was like, is David Prowse still talking right now? Is, is, he, <laughs> is he recording? Is he uh, speaking lines? Because what happened was he was recording the lines and they just didn't roll the film. They just didn't roll camera. And, and then they just did it with Luke. Is mm-hmm. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. And when, um, when James Earl Jones read the script, when he was recording, when he was recording the voice lines, he was, he was like, this has got to be a lie, right? Like, this is going to be, it's going to find out that it's a lie and Vader's lying to, to Luke, which is, it's just brilliant. What a great way. I think, especially doing this in Empire works so well because you see Vader, you see, you see more of Vader, you see Vader interacting with, um, with more of his men and seeing him just murder them constantly. Um, you also see the one point in all of Star Wars to this point where Vader looks vulnerable when he has his helmet off and it's only from the back. You only see it from the back, but it's when he's in his little egg and um, the, and the top of the helmet comes down and Admiral Piet sees it as it's coming down. And it's just the one moment where you see the, you see Vader's, you see Vader's skin underneath. And um, it's one, it's another one where the lines in those, the lines in, in that scene are pretty, uh, they're just pretty plot driven. It's just basically saying we've lost them in an asteroid field. So I think that's where, that's where mm-hmm. it is in the story. Um, but because they have that moment where, where the helmet's coming down, you see that moment of vulnerability. It just adds so much more to the character of Vader and to the scene in the film. It's just brilliant, brilliant writing. I also like, as you were just saying that, uh, that Vader's just like, dropping through his men just just force choking all over the place um that really is such a juxtaposition that they that they make with clone wars with anakin being so like mm, protective over his troopers like that's a that's a really good just show of the character development of anakin through to vader i like that a lot i've never thought about that before yeah, even in even in the prequels, um, there's a moment where Anakin's like, because Anakin wants to save as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the Clone Wars, it shows he's he's pretty chill with killing people. Like he's totally fine as long as he's saving as as he people. Doesn't see them as people. Yeah, they're animals. I slaughtered them like animals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I, I just had a couple other things oh, to mention. <laughs> a couple other things to mention. So one, probably my favorite shot of the film is actually right at the end where. Um, some of the cast, including Han, um, no, sorry, yeah, sorry, it's Luke and Leia and R two D two and C three PO are looking out the the window of the spaceship out at the the stars or the swirl of the stars, and that's just a, a beautiful shot. And that that's probably the if there's one image 
that kind of really st- sticks with me from the original trilogy trying to think back as a kid I think it was probably that one I think um and then the other question I had was what do you guys think of the scenes in the Digobah Swamp and the introduction of Yoda because we haven't really touched upon that yet and we'll touch upon it in a bit but um I was just wondering your, your overall impressions after watching this a million times the actual storyline and the introduction of Yoda and how that holds up as a, as a piece of storytelling after all these uh, rewatches. I think it's perfect. I think every every moment on Dagobah in that film is perfect. There's there's not a single choice that they make which doesn't work. Having Yoda be a tiny little shriveled green puppet is brilliant. The idea of, especially because you have this idea of a Jedi master, a great warrior, like you've already seen, you've already seen wise Alec Guinness. And now you want to, and you see the Jedi master that taught him and you think some great warrior and Luke thinks that as well. The first thing he says is I'm looking for a great warrior. And Yoda goes, ah, wars don't make one great. Um, and then, cause when they get there, Yoda is pretending to be just a little green weirdo, which is brilliant because this movie came out in 1980 and like movies were full of little green weirdos like not Mm. but like little weirdos and especially annoying character that they always ended up being like kind of annoying characters when did the black cauldron come out the disney one that was before Mm. right because that had a a little weird character which which like audiences weren't a big fan of and things like that it's very it's it's very like what is this muppet doing in star wars 85 oh never mind then um but yeah what is this muppet doing in star wars like what is what is this why is this here why is this little guy hitting three um r2 with a stick why is he trying to steal his lamp and eat his food like what is going on why is this here and then the reveal that he is the jedi master is brilliant it just it works so well because it recontextualizes everything that luke thought about the force and being a jedi just from the way that this character looks and talks and acts and there's a brilliant switch where Yoda's being all being all quirky and weird while he's given he's 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 given uh, Luke some of his uh, some of his food in 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 his heart and then there's a moment where uh, Luke gets really frustrated and he's like I don't know what I'm doing here we're wasting our time and then Yoda goes I cannot train him and he's talking to Ben and it's just it's just this little flip switch, um, this little switch flips. And it's just like, this is the Jedi master. It's just, it's so good. And then everything about the force that Yoda explains the way such a, an idea of it's such a spiritual thing and the idea of power and the explanation that the dark side is not stronger. It's just easier. It's just, it all works so well. The lifting of the X-wing, the, um, the the part in the cave where he has the his duel with the spirit version of Darth Vader it's all it's all perfectly written I think there's only one thing but I wouldn't change it because it's there and I love it but there's only one thing that I think doesn't quite work and it's where Alec Guinness as the ghost he holds his hands up in a really weird way yes. and yeah. he's like Luke don't give in to hate but his hands are up and it's just so awkward yeah. and I love it I love it and I wouldn't change it but it's really weird. <laughs> I swear, Luke, you're worse than your dad, and he was the fucking worst. <laughs> I um I find that interesting that you you like it so much. But well, not really. I know you, but <laughs> um, well, I don't. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, I I think because for me, like that, the introduction to Yoda has always been a little bit annoying to me. Um, 
and <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, it's it's always been a little bit annoying, but it's supposed to be annoying. And you're supposed to be like, who's this little shit? And like, obviously I know, but I'm like, why are you being such a little shit, Yoda? Like now that I know. But I was thinking today when when we were rewatching it that um, like the the big twist for for most people for for everybody is that Vader is Luke's dad, right? But that it's also a twist for Yoda to reveal that he's a Jedi Master, and I I'm. I'm trying to think of a time when I didn't know that Yoda was a Jedi master. And I think that that reveal was lost on me. Um, I don't think I ever got that. So like trying to think of somebody sitting in a cinema in 1980, watching this film for the first time where they're like, Oh, what that's Yoda. And they, they're like dealing with those emotions for the rest of the film. And then they're like, Oh, what Vader is Luke's dad. Like there's, there's a lot in this film. That's very, very new and exciting i think and really is brilliant um but i do agree that like every scene on dagobah is is perfectly what it needed to be it's excellent so i was gonna say shall i share my yoda thoughts now or should we wait for later categories or what do you guys think i was just i was just reminded of the scene from simpsons where they're leaving the cinema after watching empire and he's like oh i can't believe darth vader was luke's father and then everyone in the queue behind oh "Oh, come on (laughs) yeah i was actually thinking that that actually might have been the first time i might have seen that before i saw the films (laughs) Uh, because i I grew up watching the simpsons so much that that might have been my first introduction to star wars it is a it's a weird thing because like even if you've never seen Star Wars, everyone knows what Yoda looks like and mm-hmm. everyone knows that Darth Vader is Luke's father. I remember yeah. watching it with a with someone who hadn't seen the films in a long time. And the one thing that caught them off guard was Luke's hand getting cut off. And I saw when I saw their reaction to that, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like this used to be a thing that people mm-hmm. didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like the the reveal of Yoda is just is just brilliant. Like it's hard to picture yourself not knowing it. Yeah because it's just Yoda. But when you do, when you think about that, it's mind blowing. One of my absolute favorite things to do in this world is introduce new people to Star Wars who have never seen it before. And there there are few, there are a few, but one of my college roommates, actually, we lived together for three years and like five years into our friendship, she was like, I need to, I need to admit something to you. I've never seen a Star Wars film. And I was like, well, bitch, sit down. And then we binge all of them. Um, but she was afraid to tell me that. <laughs> I don't know why. It's not like I'm intense about this at all. Yeah, I was no, going to say, not it's not you've ever shouted to someone over a Star Wars opinion or thought <laughs> while um, recording a podcast. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, maybe we should wait until we're actually, we actually physically meet one day, Vaughn, for me to watch Revenge of the Sith in one sitting. Because you've never seen a Star Wars movie. Yeah, Simon, I agree. Let's, sure, why not? Um, share your fucking Yoda thoughts. Uh, so um, I really like the fact that, as Steele said, uh, Vaughn, uh, Vaughn? <laughs> Yoda is this uh, weird little guy and he's not this physically intimidating. Freudian fucking slip there, Simon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Vaughn is this weird little guy. <laughs> Vaughn is this weird true. guy. It's true. It is. It is true. Search yeah. your feelings. Annoying, weird accent. Yeah, this is lining up. Um, uh, weird. Speaks like a bitch. <laughs> I, I really like that. About, about, <laughs> I really like that about Yoda, the fact that he's not this, you know, seven foot giant colossus of a, of a warrior. And I do like 
the fact that they introduced money is sort of purposely annoying to begin with, and Luke is getting frustrated with him. And I do like the fact that he is sort of a, a wise, sort of a master who is passing on knowledge and, and skills. So that initial setup I like. I think there was an oversaturation of Yoda in the 2000s, um, yeah. which is kind of turned me against them a little bit. I remember as a, uh, I was probably about 12 or 13, or I was sort of early teens anyway, in the 2000s, and um, Vodafone, a uh, phone company over here, they had like adverts with Yoda and they did a lot of sort of oversaturation with, with him appearing in various adverts and they really kind of emphasized his, his, his specific speech pattern and that kind of thing. And I was going to save this for our um, questions part, which is coming next, but I'll do it now. Is Yoda just fucking with us when he's doing that weird speech pattern? Because when he's like pleading with Luke to stay, he basically says it in complete sentences, perfectly normal. And so you've got like this like 30 second span where he's just speaking like you and me. And then when Luca meanly kind of goes, no, no, I'm going, he immediately falls back to like, oh yes, wisdom you must have and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Yoda, are you just fucking with us? Because you were fucking with us when, when we first met you. <laughs> Is that just like a constant bit for you? So I love that. I think one of my... One of my favorite things, because I completely forgot that he does that in that one moment. Um, but one of my favorite things with Yoda is that when there's the reveal that he is the Jedi Master, he doesn't start speaking normally. Mm-hmm. And he speaks backwards for the entire, every time Yoda's in anything. I love that. I think it's, I think it's brilliant, the idea that even though, even though it's the reveal that he is this great Jedi Master, he still speaks mm-hmm. weird. It's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think, I think it is, I think it is a bit, uh, because I mean, he's like 800 years old, right? So he needs to keep mm-hmm. something exciting. He's going to keep, <laughs> keep I thought you were gonna say, toes. I thought you were going to say he had dementia. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. no. He's just doing it to fuck with people. He needs, he needs some excitement, some, some spice in his life, you know? So he does it by, by fucking with your brain. And I respect it. I respect it a lot. Uh, right. Okay. Let's move on to the questions, issues, and mistakes part of this. Um, so, um, you know, incest reveals not great, but let's just move on from that. Um, uh, one scene there is uh, a boom mic visible in reaction of Luke's goggles just before a Wampa attack. Um, so you can look out for that. Um, in the Wampa cave, there's the sound of Luke. Uh, putting away his lightsaber, but it's still visible on screen. And um, yeah, I mentioned Yoda's speech pattern. Have you got anything else uh, you'd want to bring up for this section? I noticed that one on the rewatch, and I think I notice it every time and then forget about it immediately because mm. the the bit where the lightsaber turning off sound happens when he's running out of the Wampa Cave, and then um, and then it's still it's still on. That's brilliant. That's so so simple. The it's it's great because it doesn't have as many glaring. Um, glaring movie mistakes as the original, um, but there are there are still a few. Um, but I can't remember I can't remember any off the top of my head. Um, but when we get to when we get to special edition changes, I'm gonna I'm gonna go hard. Mm. Well, so so the only kind of issue mistake question that I have um, isn't actually an issue with Empire. It's with kind of a bit of retconning and with the the prequels and everything and Clone Wars specifically. Um, is that Yoda knows R2 in the prequels and the and Clone Wars. And he 
in the the end of season six of Clone Wars, spoilers, um, Yoda takes R2 with him to go on some kind of like trials and things to understand why he's hearing Qui-Gon Jinn in his mind and realize more about the kind of um, life of the Force, that mm-hmm. how it 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 continues after death. And that's where he learns the kind of Force ghost abilities. So R2's with him for a substantial amount of time. I think it's two or three episodes at the end of, of season six. So like they know each other. They know each other quite well. Um, and that that is that that's kind of like a mistake or an issue when you mm-hmm. go back to watch Empire, but um only if you have a broken brain like me. <laughs> really. <laughs> If this is one of the things that that bothers you in life, then then it's an issue. But the canon, the canon, the canon where Boba Fett is in Empire for the third time canonically in this film <laughs> for the benefits this of one for the benefit the third time for the benefits of the listeners. Um, just before we started recording, we uh, we we had a we had a friendly spat about this. Because uh, there was yelling. Yeah, there was yelling. There was yelling. Um, it was great. Um, in the special edition of uh, A New Hope, uh, Boba Fett turns up and looks directly at the camera, and it's awful. Um, but Terrible. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> and then, so I, so Simon and Simon and I were saying that uh, this is Boba Fett's second appearance. The first being the Star Wars Holiday Special, <laughs> and. Um, the uh, but in because of the New Hope special edition retcon, he also shows up in that one. Mm-hmm. So this is the third time we see Boba Fett. So if you mm-hmm. think this is the first time, you don't have a broken brain, and I'm proud of you. Oh, we were talking <laughs> about the audience. <laughs> yeah, um, Boba Fett is it's it's so interesting now that they they it almost seems like every decade we get like a different different sort of addition to what what Boba Fett means to the Star Wars universe. I'm almost expecting in 10 years there'd be another special edition where he's actually Luke's father. Um, This is just, it's just one one of those things, which is, I guess, the the funny story of Star Wars, that the original trilogy created this thing and then so much has sort of branched off from it. And part of that is because I can't really think of another piece of intellectual property, to use that term, where it's still so much built around like a set of three films as being like the center point for all this. And then you either go backwards in time, sort of around it or, or forwards in time, but around it. It's um, yeah. It, it, Star Wars is fascinating. There's a whole other conversation to be had around that. Um, the question I still had, which I noted down, which I forgot to mention just there was where Yoda says um, there is another one when um um, of Obi Wan saying like all hope is lost, and um, Yoda's referring to there being another one, and um, it's sort of envisioned that that is supposed to be Leia, but of course from the prequels, they um Obi Wan knows about Leia, right? And I was going to mention this when we get to fan theories. There's now fan theories out there that actually it's you know he's projecting Ray as this next one, which obviously they weren't doing when they were making this film. Um, what do you guys think about that line now that we've got all this other st- 
stuff going on with you know the prequels sort of showing one thing and then the sequel showing other stuff how did, how does that all fit in or has it just broken your brain like one mentioned so for me i try and ignore the canon when i'm watching the originals because all of the stuff that's <laughs> retroactively put in there so much of it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. i just ignore it <laughs> like fair it's fair it's the only way to do it without going mad because you can you can invent as many reasons as possible like mm-hmm. why doesn't yoda remember r2 why doesn't he say anything or maybe he does re- recognize him and r2 recognizes him and they just don't say anything to luke because why um we'll never know maybe there's an off-screen moment where they have a quick catch-up uh it's the same with obi-wan not recognizing the droids it's really droid focused yeah it's well that's re- that's because they just fucking shoehorn r2 and c3po into every star wars property just push them in there just really shove them just in there shove them push them <laughs> oh dear um yeah it's uh apart from solo it's the only one Solo's the only mm-hmm. one that doesn't have them yeah, in yeah yeah i'm so glad this one um oh no two even turned up in mandalorian yeah it's great. Yeah, and they they really like really shoehorn them in in Rogue One. Oh yeah, that's just at that a one point scene. that doesn't make sense because they shouldn't be there. If if we're going with this as the lead up to episode four, it doesn't make sense. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, they should be on the ship already because the ship's in another ship. Yeah, like yeah, mates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is really droid focused. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um. No, that's it. It's gone. That's left oh. my brain. Whatever it was, mm. thinking about the ship and the other ship. Is, we just uh, we we ignore we ignore the the canon when we're watching the originals. Yeah, you're saying um, it's. I feel like it's the only way to do it because George Lucas, when he wrote the prequels, I I think he wanted to connect all the dots, but he didn't think it through as well as he could. Like it feels like they should. The way they should have done it is that Obi Wan could never meet R two, and maybe Anakin could never meet R2. Like having R2 and 3PO as Padme's droids that somehow never meet the other characters, that could have worked and still and still like kept with everything that's in the original trilogy. But honestly, I like R2 in the prequels. Love and him. 3PO. So I just ignore it. It's easier. And yeah. just enjoy what's there. I mean, fair enough. Sometimes you have a better idea later on. And then you go with that. Like it like I, I did say that it is an issue that Yoda and R2 don't recognize each other or say anything or whatever but like it's not really an issue for empire it's just an issue for thinking about all of star wars collectively as one thing then you're like "Mm, that doesn't really match up but it doesn't make this film worse it doesn't make the prequels worse it doesn't make anything like worse it's just something that you kind of note and you're like "Mm, well okay this is something else (laughs) and the uh the there is another line that will in my mind that will always be later it will always be like, yeah, I do not like the idea that it is Ray. That's that's too much kind of retconning for me, I think. It's it's Leia. And they they hammer that home and like bolden it, underline it when she says we have to go back, when she has her force connection moment with Luke. There is another one, and then they tell you who the other one is like 20 minutes mm-hmm. later. Which so. is interesting because that shows that shows that um they had the idea of Leia being uh-huh. force sensitive then uh-huh. but not the sister and brother are the mm-hmm. part of it or they did please no <laughs> <laughs> they 
they're in the same movie. Those things, those things happen in the same movie. Um, I was just going to say, I agree with Vaughn. Uh, nothing can make the prequels worse. Um, right. Uh-huh. Uh, how I dare def- you? How <laughs> dare you disrespect Attack of the Clones, the second best second Star Wars best film? <laughs> I am not with her. I do not agree with this. Uh, right. I did actually skip over a category, which was worst moment or scene. Maybe that was um, me not wanting to dwell on anything that's particularly bad. I don't have anything that's particularly bad. The only thing I've got noted down here, well, one was that Luke is very isolated throughout the film, which we talked about on the production. It does kind of feel noticeable when you're rewatching it that he's kind of just in the snow and then in the swamp, and then he gets his arm cut off or his, his hand cut off. Um, so we, that, it, like I say, it's not bad, but it did kind of stick out just how isolated um, Luke was. The only scene I had, which um, I kind of noticed, I watched a couple of weeks ago and then I watched it yesterday. When I was watching a couple of weeks ago, there's a scene about the 21st minute um, where they're preparing to leave Hoff and um, one of the people says, um, group seven and 10 will stay behind to fly the speeders. And it's it's just like a very little scene. I assume it was in there to add some context about what was about to happen. But I didn't really feel it was actually necessary in the film. Like I wasn't getting any, I wasn't getting any more information that I wouldn't learn as the other scenes go on anyway. So um, that felt just like something that, probably could have been cut but like i say it's like 30 seconds and it didn't really bother me i don't know if you guys have got anything which you dislike about this film in any way none of it um, none of it there's there's a couple there's a couple tiny things that there's a couple tiny things that uh like none of it bothers me none of it looks bad um it's just a couple awkward things. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is Alec Guinness holding his hands up. <laughs> that just, I just love that so just much. Makes it better. Um, just so awkward. Uh, and the other one is there's a bit in the Battle of Hoth where it cuts back to the base and it goes, the first transport is away. And then all of, there's a bunch of ground crew that go, yay. And it's just a little bit awkward. Yeah. It's just the one <laughs> thing. And I look for it every time and I love it to bits, but it's just a little, little awkward. Yeah. For for me, there are a few scenes that have some stunted dialogue, normally mm-hmm. with like the Imperial crew, um, but none of it's bad, in my opinion. It's it's just still that kind of campy, we're, we're just starting out with um, Lucasfilm and all of those kind of things. Like, it, it just feels like a really great 80s movie. All of the things that that now we would be like, oh, like jeans guy. Oh, no. Like now <laughs> that's an issue for us. But in an 80s film, you're like, oh, this is this is perfect. Like you want those those kind of stunted moments in 80s films. Right. Absolutely. The um, the uh, one of my favorites is the guy, the Imperial officer that just says, good. Our first catch of the day. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. What a weird line. What a weird line. Now I want Star Wars fishing. Give yeah. me a series. Give me a series of Deadliest Catch, but it's Star Wars. <laughs> I think the other thing, I think the other thing that we should address is this controversy around the the scene with Han and Leia where they first kiss, mm. where it can be interpreted as Han backing Leia up against the wall. And it it can be it can be perceived as predatory. Um I yeah. I I can see it, but I know this isn't. I know that isn't how it is, and 
like I can I can understand where you're coming where someone's coming from with that but that's just not how I will ever see it yeah I I agree it's I mean as I said a bit earlier that's one of my favorite scenes in like all of Star Wars because I just think it's so emotional and really powerful to show that Leia is she's trying to like forefront her her career as a general she's trying to forefront the um the rebellion and she knows like I shouldn't really get caught up with this with the scoundrel right so Han is saying like I know that you have feelings for me and he wants her to embrace them it's not super clear whether he's he's really there to embrace them back with her but I think like I think it is it's just such a palpable scene where they're they've been resisting each other for so long and we have such a gap between a new hope and empire that we can just tell from that scene specifically there's been so much tension building up between them and that they've been trying to put it aside to the point that now they're just frustrated they're really frustrated and they know they love each other and they know they want to embrace it and she she finally kind of allows herself a moment of okay we can have this for a split second and they kiss right there and then 3PO interrupts them and Han's like you little fuck and Leia like slips (laughs) away and she kind of retreats back into being like no we can't do this it has to be restraint we have to we have to keep this under wraps kind of thing and then throughout the film, you can see it just boiling for her that she she wants this and he wants this and they don't know how to tell each other because they're both so so strong headed and steely against it. And then in the last moment where she just literally cannot resist anymore, she says, I love you. And Han, in a very Han way, says, I know. And it's just the perfect buildup of a romance it's oh god I love it so much I love it so much and again I absolutely understand why someone could read it as controversial or uncomfortable or predatory I see that but to me it's just the ultimate like I can't have this thing that I want but I want it and finally allowing yourself to just have it at a point when you can no longer have it because he's being frozen in carbonite. Oh, it's heartbreaking and just melting and beautiful. And I love it so much. I think um, my favorite little moment between the two of them is after that scene where uh, the Falcon is attached to the back of a Star Destroyer and they float away with the garbage. And she goes, uh, you do uh, you do have your moments and then gives them a little kiss and goes, not many of them, but you do have them. And it's just... It's just so, it's just a little peck and it's just the sweetest, just the sweetest little moment. So good. Uh, The other one is when, after he's frozen in carbonite and the slave, and the slave one escapes with Han in carbonite and you just see Leia's face for a moment before they realize they don't have time for this and they have to go. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking. Just her, the, the face that she makes is just... Oh, it's, it's so good. So, so good. When, when I was younger, like very young, when I was 
12 or so um, into my early teens, I really hated Leia. I really, really didn't like Leia because I couldn't understand her or like connect with her at all. I thought she was just a whiny, abrasive bitch, honestly. <laughs> but now I like, I, I'm mad at myself. I felt that way because she's just incredible. And Carrie Fisher is incredible. And every moment of that frustration that Leia has and the, the angst and the abrasiveness is, is so deep and masking a deeper emotion. And I, oh, it's, it's really just impeccable. Her performance of Leia is outstanding and especially in Empire. Every time I watch it, I get more and more out of Leia specifically. I think it's very telling the fact that this category started off as the thing she disliked about uh, the film. And then <laughs> the guy spent 10 minutes talking about how much he loved things. Bless you both, you're both very sweet. Um, We've got a few other categories to still get done. I think we should try and race through some of these because I, I know we, some of these will take longer on. So, um, favorite planet visited. So we've got Hoth, Dagobah, and Cloud City. I don't think I'm missing any there. Cloud no. City is a city, Simon. Cloud City is a city. The planet is Bespin. <laughs> get a life. Um, right, okay. Vaughn is disqualified from that. So uh, Everyone, can... Simon is so tired. <laughs> Simon... Simon has to deal with me on on multiple podcasts and in group chats, several group chats. He's he's tired of me. I'm very tired, especially when Vaughn will just like start a conversation by like yelling at me or calling me a bitch or something like that. And I'm just like, oh, good morning to you too, Vaughn. Um, <laughs> you know what you need to do, don't you, Simon? You need to just stop being a little bitch. Just yeah, stop so- being a little bitch. Just don't. Stop it. Get just- some help. Thank God I have the power of edit on this. My right. Favorite, um, my favorite planet is Bespin. What's yours, Simon? <laughs> um, hmm. I'd probably agree, actually. Um, only because... Um, I don't know. I mean, I do like just Hoth. just learned I, what it is. Well, yeah, I do like Hoth, but um, I can't really vote for Dagobah, so it'd probably be one of those two. Um, right. Best minor character? Um, there's a I few down. Do the, I don't get to do the planets. Okay, on you go. Sorry, sorry. I, I thought you just given up hope and just start calling me a bitch instead. Then I had a new hope, you might say. Yeah. I got to talk about it, and Simon could stop being a little bitch. Um. So, um, I'm getting into it now. Um. So, uh, Dagobah has the best scenes. I think, like, they're my favorite scenes from the film. But then everything in Bespin is Bespin's the best planet. I think the the color they use for Bespin that Oof. it's so beautiful, and Cloud City being white juxtaposing that, and everything on everything on Bespin like the way that the way that it's filmed, um, it's a, it's also one of the special edition changes I dislike the least. I don't think it's necessary because I love those white hallways they're running through. But when they started adding like windows so you can see the back of clouds, you can see like the outside of Bespin and like they're running instead of running through another white hallway, they're running through a balcony on on Cloud City. So you can see the outside and the sunsets on Bespin and oh, very pretty, very, very pretty. Um, so, yeah, I will also say Bespin. You say Bespin, I keep just thinking of Best Buy, you know, the shop. Um, which would be a very different setting for the film. Bloody um, love Best Buy. They got so <laughs> many ice cream makers. 
<laughs> just like Bespin. <laughs> just like Bespin. So many. Will Rowe Hood, everybody. The greatest character in all of Star Wars. The man that runs with an ice cream maker. You know, at Star Wars Celebration, they have the running of the hoods where everyone who's come dressed as Will Rowe Hood runs through the, the convention all in a line. It's just wonderful. One of my favorite things they added in The Mandalorian is making those ice cream makers containers, like containers mm. of valuable goods. Like Mando gets paid in, a, in an ice cream maker full of Beskar and uh, Cobb Vanth um, buys the Boba Fett's armor with a, uh, an ice cream maker full of crystals. It's brilliant. Just brilliant use of uh, use of a little Easter egg there. It's fantastic. Right, um, best minor character. You guys got any favorites? Will Rohud, <laughs> run, boy! <laughs> Get your ice cream and go. Go to Best Buy. <laughs> my my favorite is is the very 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 minor character who's like the Tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Doing his job, being helpful, being a great guy, looking out for Han. And Han goes, then I'll see you in hell. And it's just amazing. What a wonderful, what a wonderful addition. That Tauntaun as well, his death is super tragic. They don't, they don't care much for animals in the Star Wars universe. No, until, until, <laughs> until they the do. Last Jedi. That's the yeah. first time they no, care about animals. In Clone Wars, the Zillow Beast. Oh yeah, the Zillow Beast, but then they also murder a bunch of animals in yeah, Clone yeah, Wars yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Simon. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite minor character? Uh, Lobo. Is that how you pronounce it? Lobot. Lobot. Mm. Yes. Uh, Short for lobotomy. <laughs> just, just a visual treat watching that. Watching Absolutely. His, uh, my favorite thing about him isn't the, uh, isn't the uh, implants that he has on his head. It's his, his frilly sleeves. <laughs> his, like, lovely flowy sleeves that were from the 70s amazing amazing it reminded me of the uh the luke costume that uh, never got mm. used where he's in the gold he's in like the gold his, outfit oh it's wonderful ice skating outfit it's fantastic yeah lobot looks like he could be a figure skater mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a great robot chicken sketch where uh, lobot's just dancing through cloud city and the little thing the little implants he has are like headphones and he's just vibing oh. and it's amazing it's amazing um oh i also forgot to mention um not not quite a minor character, but I love uh, Admiral Piet, mm. um, the one that he's a captain, and then he watches Admiral Ozzel get murdered by Vader, and then he's in he's in in it all the way till Return of the Jedi, where he gets absolutely wrecked by an A wing flying through the window, and I just I just love that guy. He's so nervous all the time because he's he's going to get choked out. It's fantastic. The next time we do a deep dive episode, I think we'll start by getting uh, over under bet on how many times Steel references Robot Chicken in the episode. <laughs> oh, we should I do think- that. Oh, so so many, so much opportunity. I've resisted it so hard all the time. Uh- um, I also want to give a shout out to those little aliens that are in charge of the uh, in charge of freezing Han Solo. Um, I don't know what they are, but Ugnaughts. Yeah, they were they were quite fun. Um, Your mama's so ugly, she puts the ug in ugnaught. Anyway. uh, (laughs) The next category I have is best use of a main character in the series. So are there any of the main characters um, of Star Wars who you think they're best shown in in this film compared to the others? You know any of them, Simon? The main characters. Um, I think, yeah, because I remember really liking the second prequel a lot. Um, 
Well, I've got news for you, Simon. Vaughn also loves that one. Join the club. Many consider it the highlight of Star Wars. Uh, I really like when they went to that one physical location. That was that was a really good, that that was really good filmmaking. That one time they went to a physical location. They actually had like actual light. It was oh, it was really, oh, good times. Um, that's actually um, going back to um, the scene with Han and Leia where they first kiss. Um, I always remember a review of Attack of the Clones where they talk about like that juxtaposed with how they did the love between Padme and Anakin, where they're just like hanging out in CGI, like in mm-hmm. beautiful CGI vistas. And uh, the line that the reviewer says is. Uh, is uh, at the end of the day, this one moment between two two people is is more breathtaking than even the most wonderful sweeping vistas, mm. and it's just that one moment between them in that in that little space on the Millennium Falcon. Just oh, it's so good. Sorry, just another opportunity to share on the prequels. Apparently, I love them. Prequels. I love them too, but they bad. Luke. <laughs> yeah, Luke. I think. I think you can get an appropriate response there from Steel, which is you can love something and it being terrible. I mean, I'm terrible and Vaughn has sort of mixed feelings about me, so I think that's probably fair. I think you're mediocre. Um, Luke! <laughs> Luke is on point in Empire. He's he's absolutely incredible. And we've been saying like you can feel that he's alone on set, that Mark Hamill's alone on set, but I think he's just unbelievable in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with all of his little his little gymnast tricks that he does on. I was going to say, high, absolute career peak for bouncing in this film. <laughs> just, just absolute best bouncing I can remember in a film. It's like he's got oh, a little trampoline, a little trampoline oh. under him. Mm, mm. Just, just the you know, just beautiful bouncing. Um, <laughs> I think they lucked out. They lucked out so hard with finding Mark Hamill because he does fine in the original, he, like in the first one, he does fine and sells the role of Luke as like a whiny teenager who just wanted to go to Tashi Station with his friends. Mm-hmm. But in this one, I think Mark Hamill really, really shines and is just incredible. Like they, they got so lucky with finding such an amazing actor as Mark Hamill. And someone so dedicated to the craft. Yeah, and that that shines through even more with the Last Jedi, where he gives his absolute powerhouse mm. performance, best performance of his career, and and when he was going into it, he didn't agree with it at all. He's just incredible, absolute icon, one of my so idols. Um, I think especially with especially with Mark Hamill having to one go out into the freezing, what's it to pretend to die, almost die, then work alongside a puppet. <sighs> Ben, ben. Dagobah system, Dagobah. Yoda, <laughs> and then he also had to he also had to act alongside lines that he knew weren't the real lines. It's incredible. Yeah, top tier. Absolutely incredible. Um, also, uh, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher playing mm-hmm. off each mm-hmm. other. Incredible, incredible. The lines Stunning. they have, especially when they're sort of. It, they have they do the will they won't they trope where they argue a lot but it never seems it never seems too much it never seems that's also the writing as well but it never yeah. seems too much it never seems like they're being horrible to each other for a an op, from a for an alternative perspective on doing that wrong we watched national treasure the other day 
And, um. and Nicolas Cage is just shouting and telling uh, telling the actress alongside him to Diane, shut up all the time. Dan Kruger. Yeah, Dan Kruger. Um, yeah, he tells her to shut up the entire time, but then they also get like super horny for each other every time they say a really simple historical fact. <laughs> it's, it's a good, it's a good film. It's a good, it is a good. It's a good. Yeah, so that's how not to do that. Um, and <laughs> yeah, just the having them spat at each other constantly, but it seemed it seem like it's obviously coming to them getting together. It's just brilliant. I just love it. And I love how, I love how all systems go. Han is with, with it. Cause he knows he's leaving and he knows yeah. he's got no, he's got no time left to let this, to let this, let this brew. So he's just straight away, just like, come on, you want me to stay? Cause of how you feel about me is like one of the first lines he says in the movie. It's brilliant. Mm. So good. And also, Thanks. uh, also, sorry, I, I just realized every every main character gets flushed out incredibly. They in this. really do. Like, the mains are Vader, so good. Everything so with Vader, good. like oh, so good. He's not just he's not just a villain in this one that's sort of standing around being menacing. Even though I love that when Vader does that, he has his first moment of weakness mm-hmm. and then his second and third moment of weakness. One of which they change in the special edition, which uh, really makes me mad. There's a line where after Luke escapes. And he walks, he's leaving Cloud City and he angrily goes, bring my shuttle. And they changed mm-hmm. that line because they wanted to put in a scene of the shuttle on Cloud City and it being already there. So he couldn't angrily say, bring my shuttle. So he says a line where it's just like, let my Star Destroyer know of my arrival. And it's not as like, there's no emotion it in it. It doesn't hit. It doesn't hit the same way as him being frustrated that Luke's gone and Vader showing some kind of emotion. For the first time, it's brilliant. Mm. It's a brilliant line, and it's gone from anything that isn't the original cut. I was going to say, they don't have Darth Vader standing around doing nothing. They have him sitting in his egg um, doing nothing. I um, love the egg. The egg is, <laughs> the egg. The egg the egg is, is so perfect fun. because it shows it shows him at his at his most vulnerable in that in the movie. Until, until the mask comes off in Return of the Jedi, that's where he's at his most vulnerable. It's used really well. And it also shows how powerful he is. Like he can force choke a guy from God knows how long, how far away over the over Zoom. It's brilliant. It's so I, good. I was forgot to mention this in the questions section. Do we think he designed that himself? And do you think he went through lots of different designs and choked lots of different designers who weren't um, giving him what he wanted? The egg? Yeah. Okay. Like, okay. I, I just want to say one thing. I... I, I want everyone to know that this is not the first time Simon has brought up the egg. I've been, I've been hearing obsessed about the egg with it in the last two rewatches. Simon's <laughs> obsessed with the egg. I absolutely love it because it's like a lot of the time they don't really know what to do with Darth Vader. So they'll just have the egg sort of hatch and then he appears and then he says something and then they put the top of the egg back down and then that's the end of the scene. <laughs> and it's like, great. oh, great. Good old Darth. He's in his egg. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a there's a, a YouTube video from God knows how long ago where every time the officer tries to say something to him, he closes the egg and then reopens it. And then the guy's like, Comscan has detected a tss, and then he closes it again and then reopens it and keeps doing it. It's brilliant. Um, I just think it's a lovely design feature because, I mean, they could have just had him standing behind a desk or whatever, but I thought, no. We've got to have this guy. Vader. You're going to give Darth Vader a desk. A desk. Exactly. He has paperwork. He's going to have a fucking he has egg. Paperwork to do. He has a little paperweight that reminds him of Padme. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. Oh, he's going to have an egg. He's got it on his yeah. desk. Yeah. Oh, bless him. Um, um, 
fun actually it's it's funny you mention him like force choking other designers because there's a comic where about vader's castle being designed yes yeah where um basically this mask the vader's castle from rogue one um there's this mask that's all that's imbued with sith energy and basically if someone puts it on the like ghost of an ancient sith who was a mad like creative designer guy he um takes over the body and so vader vader uses him to build the castle on mustafar and uh he builds he builds a bunch of different versions and every time there's just a, a a page where it's just panels of him being like i'll get it right the second time and then it being a different person taking over that the, the mask's taking over because he's killed every single person every single time he's failed just for the satisfaction of killing them even though it's not killing um the sith lord it's brilliant it's just like i'll get it the second time different person the third time different person the fourth time it's brilliant so yeah vader definitely kills everyone who doesn't design things better he's like my coffee cup it is not cool enough and then <laughs> kills the coffee cup designer okay um that moves us nicely on to the next category which is best death biggest laugh or biggest crowd cheer now there are kind of a long list of, of things to go through um so i did have darth vader choking admiral is it also or ozil yeah um uh Captain Nida dying and then be carried away. I thought it was really funny just watching him getting dragged away by his colleagues. Um, the Han Leia Luke love triangle is kind of funny to watch now. Um, Yoda fucking with Luke in the swamp. Um, seeing Obi-Wan is pretty great, even though it's just a vision. Uh, Luke beheading Darth Vader in the swamp. Uh, Leia telling C-3PO to shut up just after they failed to jump to light speed. Yes. Um, appearance of Boba Fett is pretty funny now. Um, I got note down. Uh, Leia switching off CP3O uh, just before they float away and visit Lando. Um, the silver C3PO being rude to our C3PO. Um, the quote unquote death of C3PO when he's blown up. And then C3PO being angry at being backwards. And then I also have Vader's little O when Luke knocks him off the platform, which I thought I was love that funny. one. Yeah. So, um, Anything else to add or any favorites uh, noted on there? My favorite is um, is Dak, uh, who is Luke's uh, Luke's gunner on the snowspeeder. Mm-hmm. And when he gets in the uh, when he gets in the snowspeeder, he's like, "How you feeling, Dak?" And he's like, "Well, I'll yeah. tell you the truth, sir. I feel like I can take on the entire mm-hmm. empire myself." And then he gets he gets killed like gets straight away. He gets got. He gets dacked. Um, there's a bit in the Family Guy uh, in the yeah family Harvest Moon. Says, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. Do you want, do you like, want to explain that while it's still? Yeah, where he says, uh, "I feel like I can take on the entire empire myself," and he's like, "Oh, cool. Why don't you?" And it's, <laughs> "Don't worry, guys. Dax got it." And he flies away in the snowspeeder, and he's still in the ba- he's still in the gunner seat when he flies away, <laughs> and he just gets shot immediately. It's fantastic. Um, St- uh, Vaughn, any uh, any favorites uh, from that list or any other? Additions to best death, biggest laugh, or biggest cruncher? Um, a lot. Uh, uh, all of the ones that you just said, for sure. Most things with C-3PO are, are laugh-worthy, <laughs> for sure. Um, I really love when Luke is going to, like, he's, like, chasing down Vader, and he goes through this little cheese grater hallway that looks like a 90s, like, mixed uh, music video. It's pretty fantastic. It's like a split second scene where he's just in this this really weird hallway 
or like air vent or something. It looks like a cheese grater. I like that a lot. That makes me laugh every time. Um, but I think, I think the best, like to shift the category a bit, the best gasp moment, mm-hmm. even, even though like you, you, it, it could be Vader revealing himself as Luke's father. That's bad phrasing. Um, <laughs> But the best gasp, I think, is when Lando opens the door to reveal Vader. Oh. I, that's such a good moment. It's a really good moment because you're you're not really expecting it. Like, you don't know if you can trust Lando, but you're not necessarily expecting Vader to be there. And my favorite part about that is he's still just chatting away to Han about... Um about the uh like running cloud city and just mm-hmm. being like oh i've had these troubles uh, troubles of every kind labor issues what's it and then he's just like what about the empire is like oh yeah the empire give us trouble occasionally and then he's like i've just made a deal that'll keep the empire out of our business forever and then it just opens the door and he's there it's so good really good yeah and then the fact that han shoots at him and he just holds his hand up like and just blocks it with his hand oh so good so so good uh one of my favorite little little things is there's um there's an ig unit in the um the trash area where the ugnaughts are gonna melt c-3po there's a destroyed ig unit like ig88 um and there's um there's a theory that ig88 got there as well and boba fett killed him which i really like but i also want ig88 to be alive because i gotta play with my lego ig88 you know pretend he's not dead um right shall we move on to the next category which is best use of music in the film um it's vader's music is probably the most iconic but uh, any any thoughts on this category it's the first time they used the imperial march because it's not in mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. movie um and the first time it comes up it's just with the star destroyers and then the the star destroyers you they already show in the first movie how big star destroyers are and then the star destroyers being dwarfed and overshadowed by the super star destroyer brilliant shot brilliant shot mm. yeah i was wrong about that on our first episode when when i said the imperial march you were right steel my favorite um use of music in in empire is um leia and han's theme throughout the whole film um, those those moments are just really really beautiful, and I it's it is a great theme in itself. Um, but the use of it is just oh oh it's so good, and it just really underscores all of those things that I've been saying about Leia and Han through this whole podcast so far. The the music just makes it so much better, and when it swells and oh so good. The the use of it where um, R two opens the door mm-hmm. and it's the it's the uh, the music swells when the door opens is just so good uh for me it's that that particular use of layer's theme layer and hands theme oh i'm doing it now um and then uh the asteroid field music and yoda it's called yoda and the force which is the one Mm. where he lifts the uh lifts the x-wing out of the swamp that is incredible incredible music i think this one's probably got all of my favorite score, like the prequels, the music does a lot of the heavy lifting with, with uh, capturing the emotion, especially when a lot of the, a lot of the characters and the acting and the writing and a lot of things feel very stunted. <laughs> everything else in the film isn't. <laughs> yeah. You named every, you started a list and then it was just like everything else apart from the music. We know Simon, the, the prequels, <laughs> the, the prequels, I love them, but they are fundamentally broken in a lot of ways. 
as am I, because I love them so much because Attack of the Clones is the second best Star Wars film of all time. Have you heard about our Lord and Savior Attack of the Clones? <laughs> Can we come in? Across the Stars is an Attack of the Clones. Okay, this isn't the Attack of the Clones episode. We'll get there. We'll get there. But it, oh, oh. Did you just answer? Did you just answer the question by saying that the music and the music was doing the heavy lifting? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> so I didn't. I'm just saying it's the part that I also love. You're a terrible reporter. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so all of those things. All right, whatever. Um, <laughs> Next question. We're terrible. Um, <laughs> what was I say? Yes, I think the music in this one is probably, uh, I think it's at its strongest. I think Revenge of the Sith has some of the best standalone pieces of music, but this one really, really pulls the weight, I think, with without having to, without having to overcompensate for the rest of what's going on. Like it, it sees what's good and then makes it better. It's like Dave Filoni. Oh, Saint. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, next category is best line of dialogue. Um, there's, a, there's a few here. Um, there's um, try not, uh, do or do not. There is no try. Um, no, I am your father, obviously. Very famous. Although it is amazing how often that comes up in popular culture has been misquoted with Luke, I am your father. Um, um, on the Empire of Dreams documentary, James Earl Jones in one of the interviews says, when I was reading the Luke, I'm your father moment, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, James, no. <laughs> oh, no, your brain isn't as broken as ours. <laughs> oh, no, James. Um, I've also got down luminous beans, are we? Not this crude matter. Um, we've already spoken about I love you, I know, which is great. And then my personal favorite, which is basically anything that C3PO says, but my absolute favorite is, I'm standing here in pieces and you're having delusions of grandeur, um, which is fantastic. Um, Then it's followed by him immediately fixing the problem and you're going, (laughs) you did it. (laughs) He's also a favorite. My favorite is, is actually a monologue. He's not speaking to anyone really, but Han, when he cuts open the Tauntaun shoves Luke in and then goes, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. (laughs) <laughs> love it <laughs> love it excellent line i i also really love um when captain nida says i will apologize personally to lord vader and then the next scene is him dying and it's mm-hmm. saying apology accepted i love that it's so so good i just realized that hopefully this show will be long enough will, will exist long enough for us to do a deep dive episode on attack of the clones the second best star wars film because then we can get to the dialogue in that so oh, I can't wait. That's that's gonna be an eight-hour episode. Strap the fuck in because I'm fighting you on every goddamn thing. <laughs> uh right, okay. The next category I've got down is best outfit, costume, or character design. So Lando. The- Lando's capes. Oh, Lando's well, capes. Lando's capes absolutely deserves its own um, well, deserves Honestly. its own film to be basically uh, perfectly honest. Uh, I've got everyone's snow outfits on Hoth. I thought were pretty um snazzy. Um, Puppet Yoda is better than CGI Jumping Yoda, that's what I had down uh, Boba Fett looked pretty cool And then I also had down the Crocodile Bounty Hunter Is pretty stylish mm. Bosk, what a legend Yeah He was the only one polite enough to take his shoes off When he got there <laughs> <laughs> A respectable king what a um, Oh, fun fact about Bosk uh, I believe his His outfit Underneath, uh, on top of his lizardy uh, skin, uh, his little yellow spacesuit item was used in Doctor Who. 
way before. Fun fact. That is a fun fact. Um, I love the Tauntauns. I think they're excellent designs. I just, I really love them. They're adorable. Um, and I also really like Luke in his little back to tank diaper. You know what I mean? When he's just suspended, he's suspended in the liquid, like floating around yep. and he's just in this cute little diaper. Now I have the unfortunate thought, which I've never had in all of my years of thinking about Star Wars, where maybe Luke shit himself while he was oh in the back to tank. Oh no. You know, in, 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 it's always sunny uh, in the quarantine episode where Danny DeVito, he needs to be clean and he, he shaves his head and covers himself in hand sanitizer and he's slithering on the floor in very large white, white underwear. That's what Luke looks like there. <laughs> it, was, it was a good moment. I really liked it. But I also really like Luke's like Dagobah fit, like, like that, that outfit that he wears for the rest of the film. It, mm-hmm. It's really nice. His like almost camo kind of thing. I like that. I like what he's got going on. I love that. I also love the vest underneath. I think that's mm. great. He spends most of the Dagobah training in a vest. It's great. Um, Vaughn, would you like to, uh, would you like to talk about Tauntauns and what the, one of the possible concept designs was? I do. I do want to do that. Steel. thank you. So Tauntauns, one of the, one of the original designs, one of the Ralph McQuarrie designs was that the Tauntauns were going to be these gigantic snow ducks. They were going to big, big little ducks. Um, with little tiny goggles on and horns, and they look fantastic. If you've never seen this, one, it's in the Empire of Dreams uh, documentary, or two, just just Google it. Just look that up because what a delight. What a wonderful visual you will get. It's, it's, really, it's really great. I love that he designed some giant snow flightless birds and went... You know what? I'm going to get rid of all this, except for the horns. I'm going to keep the curled horns. That's what I'm going to do. And they can go on the next design. I think that's mm. brilliant. There was also a bright blue version of the Tauntauns, which I, I think is great. I just, I love that they gave it little goggles, little snow goggles. What a, what a sweet little, they cared about that Tauntaun. They didn't care about the one they cut open, but they cared about the original Tauntaun. They gave him little goggles. No one would have cut open a Tauntaun with goggles. No. You can't kill him if he's wearing people clothes. <laughs> I understand that reference and I like very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, okay. Um, shall we move on to our next category, which is trivia and random research? Um, there's obviously a bunch of stuff out there, which I'm sure our audience will know to some degree or another. Um, I, I don't really know kind of which ones to state and which ones not to state. I mean, from what I read, Han Solo's the only non-Jedi slash Sith in the original trilogy to use a lightsaber when he opens up a Tauntaun, uh, just keeping mm. it on theme. And also the sound of uh, the Tauntaun was produced by recording the sound of an Asian sea otter named Moda. So What? An Asian sea that. otter. So there you go. <gasps> Ewan McGregor Ewan. was there. Ewan McGregor was there going, we're looking at sea otters. Ewan loves that. Oh, I bet he loves tauntauns because of that. I We've already mentioned a lot of the trivia that like mm-hmm. either I have down or just that that I know offhand. Um, but there there is one that that is interesting and fun. And that's that some of the asteroids were potatoes. I love this. 
I love that because they spent, there was in the documentary, there's a bit where one of the designers is saying, you know, it's hard to design good asteroids. We thought it was going to be difficult, but uh, so like the ones in the close-ups have been meticulously designed to look good. And then just somewhere in the back, there are some that are potatoes. I think it's brilliant. There's also, um, there's also a nice bit of trivia. Um, Mark Hamill in the scene where, uh, where Luke bangs his head on the top of the, uh, the Dagobah hut on top of Yoda's hut. They filmed that 16 times. So Mark Hamill banged his head 16 times. Bless him. Yes. What, I did a, actually... what a trooper. That is, um, yeah. God God bless him for his... Um... It does sound like it was quite a challenging shoot, doesn't it? Um, I've also got written down here, um, in certain shots of the Rebels hangar, the filmmakers enlisted children as extras the reason for this was that the actor's short stature would make the hangar appear larger than it actually was, which is quite cute. I love it. I love it when they do that. They also do it in the movie Alien mm. when they climb into the alien ship and they see the massive, um, the massive creature on the uh, on the gun, and it's dead and fossilized. And to make that even bigger, they had kids in little spacesuits. Also got written down here. So this is from IGN.com, which I'm getting most of these things from. So I'll just read what it says and see if this makes sense to you guys. When escaping the asteroid field, a TIE fighter strikes an asteroid. As the asteroid travels down and to the right of the screen, the pilot can be seen traveling down and to the left doing backflips as he travels off screen. So I, I didn't tell you what that means as far as I don't remember seeing that, but that's... Oh, I think I think I know the bit. I think I know the bit. It's the I think it's because one of the asteroids hits one of the uh, hits one of the uh, the tie fighters and it goes mm -hmm. spinning off off screen, uh, and then you just see the explosion a little bit on the bottom right of the screen. Mm -hmm. and, that's it. Yeah, I think it might just be like the way that the asteroid hit the the tie fighter. It should spin the other way, maybe. Right. Okay. Yep. Anyway, there's tons of this stuff out there. Um, you know so much so that um we probably could spend another 20 minutes doing that but we're probably best to move on because I, I don't actually have a category for this but still you did mention about some of the special edition stuff is that right yeah um some should, of the... should we do that now before we get into yeah definitely um so with the special edition the empire is the one that's affected the least by mm -hmm. quite a long way um there's some of the the main one that's super noticeable is the voice change for Boba Fett. Yeah. Cause I believe he was voiced by a guy called Jason Wintergreen originally, I believe, I believe was his name. Um, but they changed it for Tamara Morrison. So it had more continuity with the prequels. Um, and yeah, they went back and changed that. And I, I understand why they did it. I think that's, I think that's cool, but I just, the movie was made in the 80s like just leave it alone like I, I feel that way about a lot of the special edition changes like even the stuff that tweaks it i don't need like it's just it's fine leave a movie how it was because you get to see like the cracks are some of the charm mm -hmm. um some of the things that don't don't hold up are some of the charm and it shows progression um another one of the special edition changes is uh the wampa so the original Wampa suit, they could not get it to work very well. It didn't look great. There's actually some deleted scenes of Wampas running into the uh, Echo Base, and it looks doesn't look great. The suits don't look don't look good at all. 
So when they went back and did the special edition, they put in a scene of the Wampa Cave where you can see the whole Wampa just chowing down on some Tauntaun. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks great. Once again, I don't think it's necessary, but it does look cool. Um, and then the other big one, like I said, there's the bring my shuttle moment, which is replaced with another line. And there's a whole bit of Vader in a Lambda shuttle, uh, one of the white three wing shuttles uh, flying to the, the Star Destroyer and then landing. And that was all new. That's all CGI. You can tell, you can tell that is. Um, I think they reuse footage from Return of the Jedi there as well. Um, and then there's also Cloud City with the windows and just a lot of a lot of cloud cities in there. There's a whole shot where it follows a cloud car, one of the twin pod red cloud cars, and it follows it flying around Bespin. And it's a nice little like shot to make you understand the geography of Cloud City a little better. And then it leads to the window where Han and Leia have a little conversation. And that's that's added as well. Is there any more? I'm trying to think. It's interesting the things they don't fix. Like there's a little there's a little movie mistake with uh, one of the 8080s where it falls over and you can very clearly see a little a little rod go up to push it over and they didn't digitally uh, they didn't digitally remove that which is which is interesting so it really is just george looking at these things and going oh i want this thing okay let's do this thing like it's less about it's less about correcting every little mistake and it's more about just what george lucas wants which is is fine i i love the special editions i just wish the originals were available mm -hmm. like cuz one day i'd be like oh what's the original and then one day i'd be like oh fancy the special edition it's been a long time since i've seen it you know yeah absolutely i think we touched upon this in the last deep dive we did or it might be a different episode i can't actually remember now but um i i do feel there'd be less of an outcry around some of these changes, especially ones that actually sort of change how characters are, are seen, such as, you know, the hand shot first stuff in the first one, um, if the originals were still available to consume, but, you know, they're, they're not. Um, I'm glad there's fewer changes in this, especially since it was someone else who directed it as well. Um, I know, obviously, um, George has control over or did have control over all this stuff. So, you know, it, to some degree or another, it, it is his um set of films but he didn't actually direct this and i think i'd have more of a problem if he was sort of changing other people's work to the same degree as he did the, the first film which i still had a bit of a question with but i think it would feel more egregious in something like this where it was directed by someone else anyway um the next category is worst internet theories about this movie um the i think the main one that i was looking at has already been brought up already which was um you know there is another one and People like to project that now as being Ray, when obviously you know she wasn't around as a character when this was being dreamed up. I don't know if you guys have seen anything else around this film um, to do with internet theories. There's there's one retconning that I think is just unnecessary and kind of dumb. Um, so in the second best Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones. Um, <laughs> When Obi-Wan is kind of fleeing from Django and Boba, when he, he's being pursued by them, um, he hides in an asteroid field. And, and then we get that wicked sonic boom. Oh, what a good sound. Um, but there's an internet theory that that's where Boba Fett learns how to hide in, in debris or an asteroid field to pursue the person he's looking for, which is what he does in empire he he is also in like the the debris kind of garbage chute that um han and gang use to fly away undetected 
it's just a really unnecessary kind of thing that like, oh, Boba Fett learned it from Obi-Wan. I, he, I don't think that he did. I think, I think he was just clever. He just used what he had in the moment. But I, I don't think I'm aware of any other like mm-hmm. massive internet theories about Empire. This isn't a theory. This is just uh, something that came into my head that I forgot to mention. But one of the uh, the rebel, one of the rebel like captains on Echo Base is uh, played by John Ratzenberger, who is in mm-hmm. every Pixar movie doing a different voice. And uh, when they did the Freemaker Adventures Lego cartoon, they got him back and had a whole episode where he was stuck in an escape pod. And it's he sounds exactly like he does in the Pixar movies, and it's incredible. Um, yeah, I just I just remembered that, That's and fun. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> Um, okay, so we'll try and get through the last two or three um, categories and then just have a sort of final wrap up on this. So the next one is specifically for Vaughn, which is which wine would you pair with this film? I, I really, I really gave this a lot of thought and there's a very specific wine that I would recommend for this. Um, and it's one that you probably wouldn't expect me to because it is a white wine. I know, I know, wow. I don't. I don't drink white, but I have a very specific favorite white wine. Um, and I, I recently had it also, and it was wonderful. Uh, but it, it is a Finca Antigua Moscatel from La Mancha, Spain. Um, it's a dessert white wine, and it's naturally sweet and from a late harvest grape. So that means that there's no sugar added. And if you drink white wine and it gives you a headache like immediately, that's because there's been sugar added to it. Um, and it really throws off the, the kind of the balance in the wine and it'll give you a, a hangover almost immediately. But a naturally sweet white has this really gorgeous kind of syrupy flavor or texture that, oh, just like coats your tongue. And it's this one specifically has hints of like orange and peach. And it has a an after um an aftertaste that lingers for a while and the entire just oh from first sip to 10 minutes later it's just wonderful experience and I really think that that's that's very much how I feel about Empire that you don't expect it to love it as much as you do or I do um but it's just so goddamn good on every level the texture the color of that wine is gorgeous the taste the afterfeel oh all of it's so good so a finca and tuga uh, moscatel did you say it's a blue harvest dessert wine no <laughs> no i did not they should change that they should change that if you're pairing it with star wars you should change it's that a, it's a blue harvest um for when we do the second best fil- uh, star wars film um I'm going to change the category slightly and say that the best fil- the best wine to pair with this film for under uh, three pounds. <laughs> uh, I'll find one. Don't you worry. Well, which which Echo Falls would you pair with this? Yes. Which CGI wine? <laughs> what we'll do is we'll get Why a bottle of water. Green? Yeah, and we'll we'll CGI the color in later. Green um, wine is very nice. Oh, I could pick a green wine for Attack of the Clones. Shit. <laughs> Uh, right, okay, uh, last couple of categories. So next one is, what should the tagline of this movie be? So according to IMDb, there are three ac- like actual ones for this. The adventure continues, the Star Wars saga continues, and the battle continues. 
when I initially thought of this, I realized that actually going forward, you could actually apply this um, tagline for basically all the films, which is everyone is a Skywalker. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on on the what the tagline could be for this film. Um, I remember, I think it's I think it's used in the trailer a lot, but Return to a Galaxy Far, Far Away is another one. Mm. But I it, think I think the best, I think that the tagline for this movie should be, it's all downhill from here. Except for the second best Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones. That should be the full. That should be the full. That's the full <laughs> tagline <laughs> in 1980. Just wait. The, ne- the, the next best film is coming in 20 years' time. Um, <laughs> 2002, get ready. Get don't, ready. Don't die before this. Uh, okay. Uh, Vaughn, did you have any any thoughts on this other than this film's not as good as Attack of the Clones? <laughs> Just you wait. Um, hmm. No, I don't think so. Thank you for your contribution. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not the creative one. I'm 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 not. I don't do that. No, I, I, you do enough. You do enough heavy lifting on our shows anyway, Vaughn. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, lasting impressions of the film um, and any anything that sort of springs to mind as, as a lasting impression of the film so good it, it's good okay it's, it's a good steal steal any other thoughts than it's good it's a really good it's <laughs> this well, this is this is my favorite movie of all time oh, i i love it i love it so much like because when I rank my like top tens, I try and only put one from a series in because otherwise mm-hmm. it would just be like three Star Wars movies and three Lord of the Rings movies in there. But this one is the one I choose because it's perfect. It's it's written perfectly. It's acted per- perfectly. The music is perfect. The action is perfect. The um, shot composition. The shot composition is incredible. Oh my goodness! Oh, um, the lighting. Do you want to watch it again? I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the writing, everything they brought to it that was new was amazing. Oh god, I, I love this! I love this movie so much. Um, the also the the effort to take away from the action for a little while and mm. sit with mm-hmm. the characters, have them have them just going about just going about their business, trying to survive. It's just. It's so good. And just the fact that they chose to do that, they chose to, right, it's the sequel to the biggest movie ever made. We're going to take it slow for a while. It's yeah. perfect. Absolutely perfect. The the decision to not have a climactic ending or to resolve lots of things, but rather to just drop this bombshell on the audience that Vader is Luke's father and like, like Han's being frozen. Like it's very clearly setting up for another film. And that is a bold move for a film that was, as you said at the top, Simon, it was make or break. If this didn't do well, there wasn't going to be a, a sixth or, well, a third film. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's, it really paid off and it still holds up and it changed how Hollywood views sequels. And that the idea that a sequel didn't have to be like a straight to video kind of mm-hmm sold in a pharmacy release it could be a cinematic experience and an excellent one an exquisite one like we wouldn't have the mcu if empire failed you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so 
there's a lot riding on this and they chose to not have a feel good or climactic or resolving in any real way ending to it which is it's a bold move and i respect it a lot i think having it be the good guys win again the fact that they didn't do that the fact that it wasn't a retread of the first film the fact that yeah the fact that it ended the way it did it's just so it's so clever and it's such a dedication to storytelling to do that with the biggest movie in the world that the craziest thing that ever happened in cinema the start of the blockbuster just having the sequel end on a downer is mm. it it took a it takes a lot like that takes a lot of uh like dedication and it takes a lot of belief in what you're doing and it it really does it really does work um possibly the best possibly the best cliffhanger ending of all time because it's not it's not like the characters on a cliff edge mm-hmm. end of the movie it's the characters have to deal with everything that's happened in this film you've got hands gone and leia has just dis- decided that she loves him vader's vader is luke's father the rebellion is scattered among the galaxy it's a film which is just about the main characters and the rebellion itself trying to survive Mm. that's all it is like they win because they get out alive and that's the only victory they have in this film it's it's brilliant and it it really reinstated that the empire are a threat yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's a great point because you don't really leave a new hope thinking that you're like oh these guys got it but yeah empire really does challenge that whole idea and say like the rebellion is is as you say it's scattered they they all fled from this base and we don't really see where they go until revenge or Uh, return rather and their uh it was originally called revenge so Mm -hmm. that's a good one um the nice did you know that was the name of the original Star Wars movie behind the scenes? It was not. It was not. It was the name for Return of the Jedi. The um, <laughs> the <laughs> sorry, um, yeah. The especially because the Death Star was just destroyed, and the Death Star was the entire the entire film revolved around the Death Star in the in the original. And that was destroyed at the end. And the fact that even without the planet-killing superweapon, the Empire is still this this unbeatable threat, this just unstoppable force. It's just it's just brilliant. Like the fact that they managed to do that with only introducing one thing that the Empire, like I mean, they they, they introduced the Super Star Destroyer in the 8080s and things like that. But there's nothing really new. There's just more ships and more vehicles and more weapons, and they see. It's just more of the same, but because of the way they're written, it seems they seem so threatening. And uh, it just it works very well to just remind the audience that the bad guys are a threat. Brilliant. I was just going to add, I don't know about you guys, I find it really hard to understand what was going on without additional aliens walking in front of the screen. Um, <laughs> without, without that big like, space camel's ass in front of the screen yeah i was just i was really struggling to understand character motivation without without additional aliens just sort of blocking up the screen for random parts of the, the film so yeah that, that, that was difficult um i also just spent most of the film 
um, wishing I was watching um, <laughs> Attack of the Clones instead. Um, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> right, okay. Um, is there anything else we want to um, say about this excellent film before we finish up today? Well done, everybody who made well, it. Good, good job. Good job on you. Good job. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that. <laughs> I guess Simon that is up. so done. Simon's so done with with me. He's so tired. Both of us. You know, long process. But I also must remember that I suggested to Vaughn that we should start a Star Wars podcast. So I've only got myself to blame. Um, That's so a fact. That is a fact. Okay. No, you didn't suggest. You said, I don't think that you have time to do another podcast. I don't think that you have the motivation to do a Star Wars podcast. And because I'm a petty small person and I respond well to spite, I did. So you're welcome, yeah. audience. Simon's Simon is the object of my spite. I'd just like to add that that doesn't mean in any way, shape or form that Vaughn has time to do this. <laughs> because she does not. I love it though. Where else am I gonna let out all of this angst and rage and and broken brainness? Specifically about Attack of the Clones. I know. <laughs> I don't think I can wait another. We've still got what two more films to go through on deep dives before we get to the best one. So <laughs> the second best one. Second best one. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's see. By the time we rewatch it for the deep dive, it could have clawed its way up to number one. Um, oh, fact. Yeah, that's true. true. Okay. Honestly, but- honestly, watching watching Attack of the Clones with Vaughn has made me completely recontextualize it. That's because I pause it every every several minutes and I go, do you see? Do you see why this is good? And I explain the film that George Lucas didn't explain. <laughs> and I, I make say, it better. You could- you can tell a film is really good when you need someone who didn't make the film. You need them to pause the film and explain parts of it to you. It's very much like that scene in Red Dragon where he's like, uh, it's like Anakin Skywalker reborn. Do you see? <laughs> Do you see? <laughs> I look forward to the future film classes where Vaughn is teaching the uh, importance of the prequels and why green screen is underrated. Um, oh my God, I never realized that that's what my job is. Uh-huh. I could do that one day. You could, yeah. I could make abs- a class about Star Wars yes. and, and burn every every kind of recording of this podcast. <laughs> Don't want the students hearing this. Where where at least once an episode, I go, mm, you and McGregor, ooh, oh, you want? Yeah. Do you want to listeners, do you want- please get in touch with us? Uh, how do you burn things that are on the internet? <laughs> well. Well, you're too young to remember burning CDs, aren't you? You're too young to remember burning. <laughs> or burning man. Vaughn actually did have a suggestion for possible um, additional episodes of, of the Joy of Star Wars, um, which would one of them was just, shall we talk about how hot um, Obi-Wan Kenobi is? The 10 hottest moments of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I am so here for We're that. We're doing it. You're joking, Simon. You laugh. You jest, but... I mean, what's history, am I right? Why is that important? Let's talk yeah. about Obi-Wan. Also, I'll there's make a... make f- it historical. Don't you worry. There's a, there's a Facebook group called uh, Obi-Wan First Posting, hmm. and uh, it changed recently to Anakin Abs Appreciation Posting. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Obi-Wan, uh, when the Obi-Wan trailer came back, it went came on, it went straight back to 
uh, Obi-Wan appreciation posting is fantastic. We should apologize in advance to the person Vaughn's going to become once the Obi-Wan Kenobi series starts. Um, <laughs> okay, please let us end here. Uh, Vaughn Steele, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, yes, we should have another episode of the Joy of Star Wars in, in the near future. Thank you all and uh, goodbye. Bye. Thanks, guys. See you later.